Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We can change like my dreams are rich. This pain and all this you're on Pastor Phil. Welcome to Church on the Block. Real talk about hip hop, the church, and the streets with my great co host, Pastor Jay and Ruck Boy on Holy Culture Radio, Sears XM, Channel 154. Yo, what's going on? You know how I start this show? Church on the Block, real talk about hip-hop, the church, and the streets. I'm Pastor Phil. I'm solo dolo today, but I can handle it. Been doing radio for a minute. My brothers is all about working and doing their thing. Um, we are here on Holy Culture Radio, Channel 154, on a Sunday, 9 a.m. Central Time, and then 10 Eastern, to talk to my brother, Vince Bantu, Dr. Vince Bantu, who is uh, a brother who's been on our show before, not a stranger to uh, our show, and not a stranger to talking about issues that the church oftentimes is unaware of, un, unknowledgeable of, and or even intimidated to talk about. So we're going to jump it right off. Uh, Vince, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you where you from, where you come from. And then we're going to jump off what this topic is today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Pastor Phil. It's good to be here with y'all in the building. Uh, yeah, I'm coming to y'all from the Lou, from the STL West Side. That's where I reside. Uh, born and raised in the Wild Wild West uh, over <laughs> here in the STL three one four. So be that your boy, my St. Louis fan. But I got love for my Chicago people too. Y'all know where y'all got y'all good reels from. So <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah, but but yeah, man. I um I teach at Fuller Theological Seminary. I teach Black Church Studies and Church History. I teach I actually direct the Meacham School of Hymenote, uh, which is the only black graduate level biblical theological seminary in the country uh, where we get down with Afrocentricity and the word of God. Uh, wow. And then also here in St. Louis, I pastor beloved community church, uh, with yeah. my wife, Deanna, and, uh, and we got two baby girls. Uh, well, they ain't babies no more. I gotta, I gotta get right. Cause they, 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 they hit middle school age. So Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Vince, man, you are a great uh, theologian <clears throat> that I believe um, is prime, you know, for this time. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Lecrae even shouted you out on his on his song. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. The books that he's reading the, and the stuff, that, the insight that you've written about. So today, y'all, our topic is, is Christianity the white man's religion? Now, this is not an old topic to Vince. He's probably tired of talking about it in some regard. But mm-hmm. we finish off our series on or finishing up our series today with you, Vince, breaking this down. And we're going to talk about the significance of why is it important to understand the African presence in the Bible? Um, why is it important to understand Africa and its significance in our walk of faith and, and, and even going to uh, the continent, but even understanding the reality of justice and salvation and understanding it from an Afrocentristic perspective. So, you know, what, what's up when people say, you know, is Christianity the white man's religion? What, what, what's your response and what's your insight to that, man? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I first and foremost gonna say, uh, nah. <laughs> uh, well, that, that's the first thing that's got to come out of my mouth when we talk about <laughs> white man's religion. Nah, bro. Um, right. it is not. At the same time, you know, and this is really for a lot of my Christian folk. I also want to also be like sensitive to the fact that even though the answer is nah, there's a lot of good reason why people see it that way. Wow. Uh, a lot of understandable reason why people see it that way. Cause when we think about, 
all of the white paintings of Jesus that people have ever seen in, in our lives. Like that, like mentally, spiritually, psychologically scars people. Uh, yeah, to when people think Jesus looks like Thor. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, looks like a Scandinavian dude. Um, and even Bible characters from the uh, part of the world where people were definitely brown are painted right. like these old Santa Claus looking dudes. And and then even the fact that like when you look at most Bibles, like the fact that like, and this is a shout out to our, some of our Bible people at Meacham School of Hymeno because we're getting ready, preparing for our uh, Bible translation even. But I mean, the fact that most Bible translations are done by white men. Most Bible right. commentaries are written by white men. Most uh, spiritual guides and devotional guides, most worship music is produced by white people. Yeah. Uh, and it might be in the white world or it's exported. It's like theological globalization. Like you, you mm. go to Africa, Latin America, Asia, and you see Christians singing white American worship songs just in their yeah. language. Or right. reading white American uh, Christian books, just translating their language. They got more white men on their bookshelf in Africa or in Asia than they do of their own people. Exactly. And so, like non Christians in those spaces, they see that. And when they see their own people becoming Christians, they're like, y'all are becoming white people. Like you're mm. becoming Americans. Mm. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And it is to the point where we live in a country where white Americans can't tell the difference between white American values and Christianity. They see them as one and the same. And they're wow. going into that Capitol building holding the cross and the flag. Like they don't see the difference. Right. And so again, I mean, we could go down all day long, but there is a lot of really good reasons why uh, Christianity is seen as the white man's religion. And sometimes even people of color will promote that same idea too. Sometimes we'll be on the spiritual plantation and we'll be acting as if it's a white man's religion. Um, yeah. But I, mean, I know we're going to get into it more in the conversation, no, no, but the no, more no. important thing is that it ain't. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of receipts, a lot of evidence to show that it ain't. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. So, <clears throat> so um, where, where is it that, 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 that so you, you broke down where that comes from, right? How um, first generation, first century art, various images in that, in that context, what is it that people literally had to step over to deny the African presence, the black uh, presence in, in, in scripture uh, and the insight of, of, of African theologians? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, I would say a, a point in history, if I can get church history a little bit, uh, you know, if I can start doing a little history just for a second, yes, a please. really important event to know about in church history is the Council of Chalcedon, uh, C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N. Uh, that was a town in Asia Minor where there was a Roman church council. I say Roman church council because people say church councils and they say stuff happened in the church. And sometimes they're talking about the white church or the Western church or the European church or the Roman church. And they don't put that adjective in front of it. You notice how they'll say black theology or Hispanic theology right. or Asian theology. But when it's white men doing it, when it's John Piper or when it's Tim Keller or when it's Jonathan Edwards, it's just theology. Right. And so I always I don't just say like, oh, the early church was doing. No, I say the early European church because wow. there were different churches histories for different people but the wow. roman church had a council in 451 now yeah. the first thing we got to know before that is that christianity was everywhere i'm from st louis y'all it was everywhere uh it was everywhere uh yeah. in the world um it was like all over the place it was in africa it was in asia ethiopia uh india it was down in india it was like along on the silk road in persia uh, wow. In Europe, Armenia, Georgia, uh, France, like it was all, it was everywhere. Man. And and there was no sense of like Christianity was any one person's religion. Yeah. But what had happened was in the fourth century, Constantine became a Christian. Well, allegedly became a Christian. Right, right, right. He wasn't really a Christian, actually, uh, <laughs> because he didn't even believe Jesus was God. But mm. he 
Christians felt that he was a Christian. The church, many in the Roman church were trying to make him a Christian because he believed in making Rome great again. And he wanted to build up a big wall and he wanted to keep all the foreigners out. And so the church loved that Roman supremacy. So yeah. they just allowed Jesus to be sprinkled on that mug. And wow. so really what we're seeing today has been around a long time. And so wow. it was a natural result that like, as Christianity started to become like an unholy link with Roman imperialism, yeah. then it started to be seen for Christians outside of the Roman Empire. They started to be seen as like they had to choose between their culture and their Christianity. Mm -hmm. And the biggest example of that was actually in Persia because Roman Empire fought the Persian Empire. Now, we got to remember that okay. there was actually a lot of Christians in the Persian Empire. We always talking about the early church in Rome. All the names we always hear about are the people in the Roman Empire. But there were actually a lot of Christians in the Persian Empire. Wow. But when Constantine became a Christian, then the Persian king went to the Christians in his kingdom and said, y'all better all convert to Zoroastrianism because that was the main religion of, of Persia. They said, because if you're a Christian, that means you're a Roman. See, that's when a cultural identity and Christianity started to become linked together. They started mm -hmm. to see Christianity as a Roman thing. Nobody had ever seen it like that before. In fact, get this, like before Constantine's conversion, there was actually Christians who escaped the Roman Empire and went into the Persian Empire because it was actually safer there to be a Christian. And I'm talking about like, like, like we got to think about what's the Persian Empire today. I'm talking about Iraq, Iran, yeah. Afghanistan. Like that was it was safer to be a Christian. That's the same place white Christians like to call the 1040 window. That's the place that's unreached. That's yeah, the place. Yeah, that's yeah. Bro, the gospel been there since day one. The Magi came and they, they heard the gospel and brought it back. And the church Man. was going there. And in fact, it was safer to be a Christian in the 200s in Iraq and Afghanistan than it was to be a Christian in Italy or Greece. Because wow. in Italy and Greece and Spain, they was killing Christians. They were anti-Christian in the Roman Empire. But then the situation flipped. And now Persian Christians had to feel like because Christianity is a Roman thing or it's being seen that way. Now right. they're like being martyred and killed for the faith. They're being told you have to choose. You can either get killed or you can renounce Christianity. And many of them wow. died. They said, no, I'm not going to renounce, but they were still down to be Persian. They knew they wasn't Roman. They were like, I'm Persian and proud, but I'm a Christian. Mm. And many of them mm. got killed. So when white people, the, the summarize what I'm saying is that when white people started to grab a hold of Christianity and try to make it theirs, try to present it as if it's theirs, that made things harder for non-white Christians and yeah. non-white Christians felt that they had to choose between their cultural identity and their Christian identity. And we're still dealing with that today. We're wow. still, I mean, I talked to native American people who are Christians yeah. and they're saying like, I got rejected from my tribe I because imagine. they said, yeah. you, 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 Oh, you a Christian. Then you're not part of the tribe no more wow. because Christianity is the white man's religion. That's right. the religion yeah. that put us on this reservation you know, in the first place oppress and, spread us, diseases yeah. and oppress us. So, so you have to choose you either down with the tribe or you a Christian. And that's not a choice that anybody should ever have to make. Cause right. Jesus said right. that I came for every nation, tribe and tongue that all people have a place at the seat of God. And there's no negation of cultural identity. Um, but, but now white supremacy has made, has put an imposition in place that should have never been there. In fact, that Jesus came to destroy, Paul said in Ephesians 2, the destroy, the barrier has been destroyed and white people are trying to build that wall back up again. Right. And so we need to continue to destabilize that and tear, and tear that wall down and help people of color understand. But the, the last piece I'll say coming back to the Council of Chalcedon, the last kind of lynch uh, or nail in the coffin was as Christianity started to become like seen as this Roman thing, so to speak, then, you know, they started to express theology in a way that 
oh, you have to do theology in the way we do it. And so at the Council of Chalcedon in 451, that was the first major split in the church. But what happened was the church of the Roman Empire, they created a theology that made sense to them. They said they were talking about, well, how is Jesus God and human at the same time? How do we talk about that? And they said, well, Jesus is one person, but he has two natures. Now, even that distinction between person and nature is a very Greek distinction. So in their Greek Hellenistic Roman culture, that made sense. But to many Christians in Africa and Asia, that did not make sense. And so the majority of Christians in Africa and Asia did not did not embrace the Council of Chalcedon. And because of that, the Roman church started to oppress many Christians in Africa and Asia for 200 years. I'm talking about they went in European Christian bishops and popes and priests. They went into Africa and Asia with Roman soldiers next to them and Mm. said, y'all better say Jesus has two natures like we do, or we're going to kill you. And African and Asian Christians said, no, we're not going to say that because they felt, they felt like to say Jesus has two natures. They felt like that would be like saying there's two different Jesuses. But again, in many of their languages, they didn't have a distinction between like person and nature. So the Romans were trying to impose on them their own theology. And we're still dealing with that today. We're still dealing with white Christians who have a way of doing worship, a way of doing theology, a way of doing preaching that's unique to their culture. But then they want to come and impose that in other cultures and other contexts who have equally valid ways of expressing (laughs) theology and religion and worship and all of that. But they want to dismiss it because it's not the way they do. It. And wow. that's been going on since 451. And the European church was oppressing African church and Asian church. And guess what? What that also meant was the European church, starting in the year 451, they systematically limited the ability of African Christians to evangelize and spread to other African Christians and wow. Asian Christians to spread to other. The gospel was spreading. It had already reached all the way to the Pacific Ocean by the mm. 600s. Mm. It had also reached the Atlantic Ocean from other Africans long before Europeans. But the white supremacy of the church severely limited and, but God in his providence is still bringing things full circle that even through colonialism and slavery, there are indigenous forms of Christianity. And now we're breaking off the shackles of colonial theology. But I think it's also, as we do that, it's so important to reconnect to these, these theologies that existed already before colonialism. They didn't have to undo colonialism. They was around before there was a colonialism. They don't have, it's like W.B. Du Bois said that we can't get past the white gaze. And I want to respectfully disagree with, with this great scholar and figure and say that actually there are many of us who have not had to deal with the white gaze, especially the white theological gaze, and we need to connect with them. But that's what, that's to answer the question, that's really (laughs) what happened and why, you know, starting in 451, the European church just, just dismissed and and I actually called heretical all of these churches that were growing. And even to this day, you can go get church history textbooks that are written by white men. And they're not going to mention none of these churches, none of these theologians, none of these women and men in Africa and Asia that grew the church. They're not going to mention them. And if they do mention them, they're just going to say real briefly, well, yeah, there was some stuff going on in African Asia, but they was all heretics, so we don't need to get into that. And they're just going to tell you about Thomas Aquinas, Martin Luther, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, all the white men in history. And so that's that. But going back to that council, when they first rejected all those Christians, that's why we have not heard of a lot of these cats and why they've been really dismissed from church history. Right, right, right. Man, that was deep. Now, y'all got to catch that quick. Now, uh, we, we, we live now. Right. There's going to be a podcast later. You can check it out <laughs> on, 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 on Church on the Block. 
Yo, you're listening to Church on the Block. Real talk about hip-hop, the church, and the street. Do not, you hear me? Do not touch that dial. Do not touch that knob. Don't unplug the Bluetooth. Stay right here with us. Church on the Block. We'll talk about hip-hop, the church, and the streets. So, so Vince, what would be a way, like a, a, a way in which folks can actually dislodge themselves from that adaptation that has happened, that white gays and all things white theologically are it. And that struggle, oftentimes that folks have, either they recognize it or they don't recognize it. And they've, they've diluted themselves uh, to so much degree that white European theology is the only study of knowledge. It's the only epistemology they can uh, 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 attain to. Uh, what would you say would be either some books Something that would be, I mean, of course, going to your seminary, that'd be the bomb. But in the context of what would be the first step to catch? Well, man, I'm curious about you saying, though, like, what do you you mean by that that, that council in 451? I mean, uh, what what would you say that people can jump into some tools that, that could help them? Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I, I would say I would say a few of them, you know, a few things and, and at di- for different levels is I would say, number one, you know, uh, I, I want to give a huge shout out to uh, the Jude 3 Project, that if you go on the Jude 3 Project, J-U-D-E, uh, and then the number three uh, project, uh, and Lisa Fields, like, if you go uh, and check out her, uh, the, their website, their YouTube, their podcast, the different uh, videos they do, that's like a good, like, entry-level type thing. If you just want to watch some videos, hear some, like, you know, dialogue at a very entry level, I would say definitely get on that and just to hear some videos and all that kind of stuff. Now, if you want to go a little deeper, then I would say definitely check out my book, Multitude of All Peoples, because in that book, I give, like, a just a like a, a deep, but not, like, too deep, but it's, like, you know, 200-something pages. So it gives you a lot of rich information, but it's, you know, it's, like, that's, like, once you get some intro and all that, you want to go deeper with learning about the history of how the church grew in Africa and Asia and how to, like you were saying, Pastor, destabilize a lot of these, like, you know, Western gaze of Christian history, I would say get that book and and that would be a good next step. And then like, you know, like we said, you can definitely take classes in this at the Meacham School of Hymenote. They're online anywhere you, you know, want to be for certificate or for graduate credit. If you want to go even to the higher level and deeper level. Then the last thing I will mention is that, uh, the, and this is probably my highest recommendation, is I, I cannot stress this enough. In order to be free of white gaze, especially as it comes to theology, we need to read African sources. We need to read them in their own words. Now, it's hard because another part of white supremacy is that the theologians that have written in European languages have gotten more attention. I mean, you can go on your phone right now and you could read Martin Luther's treatises translated from German into English on your phone. You could read Calvin's Institutes translated from French and English on your phone right now. You could read Thomas Aquinas, uh, you know, uh, Summa Theologica, translated from latin on your phone right now you could read things that have been passed through european history but a lot of this stuff has not been made available and and and, you know because a lot of it's been written in ethiopian and egyptian and and indian and persian and chinese languages and many people have just not been interested so that's something i'm on right now so be on the lookout because i'm in the process of making a, a collection of texts written in Asian and African languages, but translated wow. into English. But there's already one out now. So I want to give a shout out to my friend, uh, Dr. Walters, uh, and definitely get, there's a reader called Eastern Christianity. Uh, it's called Eastern Christianity, a reader. And if you get it, it is just primary text. It's 
original African and Asian Christian text, but translated in English. And it's a gang of them. It's a lot of the greatest theologians for, that wrote in like Syriac and Ethiopian and Armenian and, and <laughs> Egyptian, but translated in English. So then you can get you can access for yourself directly. I mean, yeah, read my book and read, listen to other videos. But Man. the biggest thing I recommend is read, read the African church fathers and mothers especially the ones that wrote in African languages, read them directly for yourself uh, so Man. that you can see African history for yourself. Man, Vince, this is so good. I mean, I, I hope folks are listening to write these things down. Uh, I'm going to ask Vince to send them to me so we can have them on, on the site too, Vince, uh, if you do that for me, man. But, but tell me this, like, um, what would you say is the biggest difference between um, European theology and, and Afri African and, or, Af uh, or, or African-American theology? What would you say the two biggest differences or challenges uh, that, that are there that consistently come up or that happen where that clash happened. I mean, you mentioned it before European and Eastern way of thinking, like, like, you know, uh, uh, even, even as you talked about Greek or, or Roman thinking in various ways and people look at things, but how did that affect African-American and African theology and, and, and European theology? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I would say, uh, I, I would say that, you know, there's a lot of ways, but I, maybe just to identify two or three of them, I think that, and again, of course, I mean, you know, uh, black people are not a monolith and we know this and there's, you know, like not just one particular uh, black culture. But at the same time, uh, there is, you know, I think some broad commonalities to African rooted people. And I think one of those commonalities is that I think black people and I mean that in a global sense, I'm not just talking about African-Americans, but like black people throughout the continent and the diaspora, I would say, are much more holistic uh, in their worldview and the way we see the world and process the world than Europeans. We got to. We got to. <laughs> you know, like. There's no separation between like economics, politics, faith, religion, family life, physical world, like all of it just flows together. And I think European approach things are much more like segmented and kind of differentiated. And so the way we approach theology is oftentimes much more holistic. I was, And I'll break it down to a real simple, practical standpoint. I was just talking to an African-American pastor of mine who is a pastor of a predominantly black church, but he's under a white denomination mm -hmm. and, and, and he has a lot of white supporters and they actually stopped supporting him because they were critiquing him saying that he was preaching about worldly things too much because he was preaching about like budgeting and <laughs> economics and things like that in his sermons. And these white supporters were saying, you're not supposed to talk about that. We don't need to get in all that. You're just supposed to talk about the gospel and scripture. Ooh. But he was trying to say, in our community, sometimes the church might be the only place where they might get this kind of training. Right. So I, I am preaching the Bible, I, but but we don't divorce scripture from economics and like, you know, all aspects of life of marriage and, and family life and politics. We don't separate those things as much. And we'll talk about those things. But a lot of times white people say, well, that's that's for this time and that's for that time. And so yeah. oftentimes that cultural value that white people have it gets seen as like conflated with a biblical value. And right. then it gets imposed on black and other communities of color as well. I, again, I think that that, that, um, you know, that separation or that, that, that they do that compartmentalization. And I, I would say more African approach is more of a holistic integrative approach of all things. And sometimes yeah. that gets pushed to the side or even like critiqued from dominant cultural Christianity uh, right. in the way that we do theology. And sometimes even black preaching or black theology is seen as not as uh, sophisticated or not as deep or not as, you know, biblical or robust as white yeah. theology or white preaching is, and which is not the case at all, but it's being judged by European or white standards and yeah. not being judged in its own context. And so I yeah. think that's, you know, I think that's one example, but I think there's a lot of other ones we can get yeah. into. I want everybody know, 
We're not talking white and black like some kind of hateration. Just, don't, mm-hmm. don't think it's like some kind of <clears throat> we're saying this European theology is so evil because that's what people want to take things. They want to take it to the degree like I didn't do that. I know you didn't do it. Like you, 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 you 20. I'm saying there is a way of thinking, a mindset that causes cats to have that superior uh, uh, movement, even if you don't even know it. Even I mean, I could walk into a restaurant that has to have a suit coat. I didn't know that was supposed to be the case. My friend doesn't have one on, but then they'll tell him, hey, he needs to have a suit jacket on. It's an interesting kind of deal. I've been in those kind of situations before. Like they say, I got to have a suit coat, but you got a hoodie on. Like, I don't understand. But in the context of this discussion, there are mindsets, theology. I'm in Africa and Kenya at, at, at um, Northern Seminary teaching, right? Uh, these pastors. And I have these tattoos on my, on my arm and one pastor comes up and is talking about my tattoos. I'm like, yo, you bugging about the tattoos when the Maasai tribe pastors in this room got their faces tattooed. Um, and then another guy said to me, like, like um, my son is, is is wearing his hair in locks and now. And he's, uh, I'm like, you you talking about hair? I, I felt like I felt like Alan Iverson. We talking about practice? We talking about practice? Like some European theology way of thinking, like you just talked about before, uh, Pastor Jay. You got to man, it was it was <laughs> beautiful, man. Um, has kind of regimented a way of thinking that is even causing me to hate my own self and my own way of thinking, and I'm not free in that space, man. Pastor Jay or, or, or Vince. Yeah, what's up, y'all? Sorry, I'm late, man. I'm, it's good. Now I gotta go back and listen to the show myself, so oh I can hear God. all the stuff that happened before. <laughs> no, but I, I know, know this man right here, so I pretty much probably could guess how he was chopping it up. <laughs> what's up, man? It's good to see you, bro. Uh, man, I just I gotta jump in. You know, and just say this, man. Like in the context of talking about this um, theologically, the way you're talking about it, I'd also like to talk about it hermeneutically and also homiletically. Okay, so. You know, for those who ain't theologians like Vince or whatever, you know what I mean? I'm talking about the way we study scripture and also the way we preach or share the, mm-hmm. what we've studied or what we've learned in scripture. So culturally speaking, right, like as a pastor, you know, I was listening to you talk about this pastor who's like a black pastor, but in a predominantly white denomination, right? As a pastor who finds himself, so I'm black church holistically, right? Like that's who I am. That's what I was raised in. But find myself speaking as an author and all that stuff in spaces that are not like conducive to that um, or the, I don't want to say conducive, it's conducive, but I'll just say that that's not their norm. Like to hear somebody get excited at the end of their sermon and maybe hoop and me yell a little bit or even um, share more stories than they do like uh, just going down and doing like line by line, precept by seat, precept preaching. Can you talk about the value of the way we preach homiletically and the hermeneutic we use as black and African people from the African diaspora narrative and story and, and uh, art, right? Like, and the value of that and helping people who come from that culture and may not even realize it because they've been uh, so resistant to it because they've been, you know, in America for so long or, or dealing with dominant uh, culture so long that they don't even know that that's what they most resonate with. Right. So how do we free ourselves to be able to like get to the water that we need, culturally speaking, homiletically and hermeneutically? Like, what do we need to shed? What things do we need to to search for? What are some tools we could practically use to get ourselves like thinking and understanding things kind of the way you do? 
Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. I mean, I think that, um, and you know, I'm, I'm saying this cause you know, we in a black space right now, uh, you know, and so I don't, I don't, I don't, I just have a rule of thumb. I don't, I don't ever critique, uh, black people on white platforms, you know, uh, but, but, but when we at home, yes, uh, sir. you know, yes, sir. We, we can, we can do some truth telling a little bit. And so I think that it's a, I, I think that it's a both and kind of thing. Like, as you said, Pastor Jay, like, there is so much rich depth in African culture. And again, I'm I'm identifying African-Americans as an African tribe. <laughs> That's really how I like to think of us. I love is we're, we're like a, we are like a big tribe, uh, you know, and, and part of the, the African diaspora. And we have we have culture that's unique to this context. Gospel music, jazz, hip hop. You know, like you're talking about black homiletics, all this kind of stuff that is completely connected to African culture. But uh, I mean, the call and response, the griot culture, the you know, all of that, the, the integration of music into speaking and 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 education all of that but it's it's unique it's a hybrid you you knew unique thing that's developed here uh among you know uh what killmonger said and what kind of forever the lost tribe right um and so that there's so much beauty and wisdom in it that we need to as you said embrace and to celebrate that black is beautiful the bible says black is beautiful and so the the homiletical tradition like you said the narrative the storytelling the cadence i mean there, let's let's get down to a very specific um cultural value white people seem to think that like having a song that has lots and lots of words, like the song takes like five pages to sing through that, that in and of itself makes it more theologically profound than a Negro spiritual that has four lines that are sung repeatedly. But there's a jazz uh, uh, there's a there's a um, there's an improv dynamic where the leader just goes with the spirit and adds to it. And there is something biblical, Semitic poetry in the Psalms and in the Bible is repetitive. And so there's also something beautiful and deep about repeating biblical truths over and over again and then saying them in different ways and different tonations. And so there's wisdom and complexity to African ways of knowing uh, African epistemologies or if I can use an Ethiopian word, African temherit. Uh And so, you know, there and we need to not prior. Now, it's OK. It's fine if, you know, white European hymns want to be 10 pages long and all that. That's fine. But it's but it's not doesn't make it better in and of itself. And so right. we need to celebrate right. the uniquely African uh, worship styles and theological uh, approaches that we have. Now, at the same time, I'm going to come at us a little bit for a minute because we were systematically excluded from from seminaries, from Bible schools, from getting resources to where we could study the Bible at a deeper level in terms of the languages and learning the archaeological historical context where we could break it down even more. And so many of us, not all, but many of us have believed the lie about us that we are not academic or scholastic and we can't add to the narrative storytelling, the practical application, the 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 musical weaving through of how we preach and do life, that we can't add to that deep exegetical work in the scriptures and in the text. And so many, sometimes some of us have said, well, that's for white folks and we don't do that. And so sometimes some of our preaching isn't deep dealing as deeply with the text as we sometimes should be. But again, I think that that is a internalized racism is white folks told us that's for the big boys. And I'm going to say this as a, for a minute, as a scholar, I'm going to say, I'm going to say this right now. And I'm not saying this to brag, all glory goes to God, all that kind of stuff. I'm, and I'm not even saying this to brag. I'm saying this as a, an appeal for help. <laughs> but I am the only African-American scholar of early Christianity that I know. I do not know one other one. Um, and I mean, I talked to my friends Esau McCauley and Dennis Edwards uh, and, and Jarvis Williams about how they're, they're, there's not even that many of them that are Bible professors. Um, but when you look at us that are black in the academy and theology, it's like there's not even that many of us, period. Like there needs to be more of us 
as a whole. But if you got all of us into a room, like all the black theologians and scholars of the, you know, theological things, it is not even a question. Almost all of us, 95% of us are like in the, the, the realms of like ethics or, or uh, like homiletics and preaching and things like that. Not disparaging that, not saying nothing against that. That's great. We need to do that. But, uh, and, and again, even with that, in in the academy, when you're going to get your PhD, when you're trying to write, white men still control the game. And so they have a way of saying, y'all can write about the black experience or y'all can write about black preaching. You can be experts about that. But antiquity or ancient languages or the Bible, that's for the big dog. That's for the big boy. That's for the white boys. Wow. And so many of us will still remove ourselves from those fields. And you can ask, I, I'm, I, I'm early Christianity. I'm the only one. And Bible, wow. there's only like a handful of us. And you can ask them. That's an even wider world. And that's why we have to go deeper and reject that lie. Whether you're a scholar or a pastor or a Christian, whatever, we have to reject this lie that that's why I'm saying, like, well, we're working on the mission. I want to see black Bible translations from the Greek and Hebrew into into black English, you know what I'm saying, into English but through our eyes and our mentality. I want to see Bible commentaries, you know what I'm saying, not just, but I'm not saying we we need the ethical, we need the the ministerial, the evangelistic, those other things, but we need to go into these other fields as well that white men have have like a a, a chokehold on, and we need to be able to go into those and bring it into our preaching, And, and we need to marry the, the beautiful African traditions that we have kept and preserved in the black church. And I got to say that just for one minute. We're talking about Christianity, white man's religion. The black church has been the main organization that has kept African culture alive in this country right here. The black church, the Christianity is pro-black. Christianity is all black. You ain't never found no ancient texts say, I am black and beautiful, but the word of God says it. You ain't going to see that in Epic yeah. Gilgamesh. You ain't going to see that in no other, the book of the dead. You see that in the word of God. So the Bible is <laughs> pro-black the black church is pro-black and so we need to celebrate this tradition but we also need to we also need to reject the lie from the enemy through white supremacy that we don't have that that deep exegetical work uh and and exegeting the word in its context and then chopping it up and and giving it to our people that that's for white folks in the name of jesus it isn't because i'm here to tell you right now i spend all day every day (laughs) knee deep in ethiopian and egyptian and nubian sources where they were all up in the text the first seminaries came in africa so when they brought us over here they said that ain't for us but I'm going to tell you right now, it's for us. We got receipts on uh, theological <laughs> education, and it was done through uniquely African means. So I feel like that's what we really got to do uh, to, to go to that next level. That's good, yeah. man. Yeah. I knew I was going to ask the question that would get him amped. I knew it. That was the one. That's <laughs> <laughs> my guy, man. That's my guy. That's my guy. Yo. You're listening to Church on the Block, real talk about hip-hop, the church, and the streets. Holy Culture Radio, CSXM 154. Come right back. We got more in store. Church on the block. We'll talk about hip hop, the church, and the streets. Phil, like one of the things I love about you know, talking events, you know, and I don't know, y'all may have already talked about this though. Um, you know, he was talking about being holistic when I got on or whatever. What I love about Vince, and I'd love for you to share a little bit, and Phil, you can maybe add something to this question, is why do you find it uniquely important, you know, to live the way you live, you know what I mean, as a theologian? You know what I mean? Like, there are theologians who, you know, like, you're, 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 you're a professor at Fuller, right? We know that, right? Like, that's dope, right? But you don't live on Fuller's campus. You don't sit in your office all day on Fuller's campus. You don't, like, there's another branch of your life that 
goes with what you were talking about earlier, that holistic piece. But why do you feel it's so important as a scholar? Because, man, you're a scholar, scholar. Right. To not just live in that world. You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like you said, man, the glory goes to God. But no, that's something that I mean, and we got I mean, especially me and you, Pastor Jay, like, you know, we got CCDA roots together uh, and all of that. And I, you know, I give glory to God and shout out to John Perkins and 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 people like, you know, yourselves and Pastor Phil is somebody been a mentor to me for a long time. And and, you know, I, I mean, I met Pastor Phil when I when the Lord took me out of the west side of St. Louis and brought me to Wheaton College. Right. Uh, in in the suburbs of Illinois, and and I'd be coming down to the house to try to just sit at Pastor Phil's feet and 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 and, and seeing people like him and John Burton and all that going back into the community, right? Uh, being in the yeah. community and being in our community, showing that it's a place. It's not a place to escape, but it's a place to love. And and yeah, like. We, we do need to go out and do these things. Like you said, like I'm a scholar and I, I'm, you know, I'm out in Europe presenting at conferences and I'm doing all these things. But but I do. Uh, and I, I assign students your book, Pastor Jay, in my classes, because I do feel like we need to come home like we did. We did. The Lord put that on my heart when as soon as I ended up, you know, it, it left the community and went to the suburbs of Illinois. The and first person in my family to do so. The Lord told me this ain't just for you. I ain't just doing this for you. And, and, and again, I'm gonna come at us for a minute because we in this in this uh, in this FUBU space. So often we will tell ourselves, well, I've been through this and I've been through that. So I need I deserve I need to, I, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and amen. God wants us to thrive. I believe in black excellence, all of that stuff. But if all of us who you know make it, so to speak, are always leaving the community, then how is our community going to thrive? How is it going to improve and how we need to not just like leave in in a way that's just for us but we need to be like nehemiah be like i want to rebuild my community because nehemiah could have just stayed next to the king and could have been like well shoot i got it good here i'm next to the most powerful person on the planet but when he heard that letter he was like my heart breaks and it, and and he didn't just send money come on somebody he didn't just send a, a sponsor a kid in jerusalem he didn't just like you know uh help them from from persia he went back to the community and rebuilt his community and that's that's something that i believe in so i after all that schooling, God called me to come right back to my community. I live right here in my neighborhood uh, in the west side of St. Louis and pastor a church, beloved community church. And, you know, we, we've connected on some things and it's a church that's for the community and by the community. And I just feel like that's something that that we got to do. And that that makes our faith holistic for me that I don't have the authority. I don't have any really thing to talk about in the classroom if I'm not living it out and being involved in uh, the empowerment, the holistic empowerment uh, of our people in the community. And, and and again, the last thing I'll say is that that's another way that we have receipts that that, again, when I read and I study these ancient African theologians, they were monks, they were ascetic people, they were they were academics, but their academics, their academia was not divorced from ministry and from empowerment. They were preaching the gospel, they were discipling, catechizing yes, people, yes. and they were employing people, they were teaching literacy, they were empowering people, they were critiquing wealthy, uh, abusive landowners and employers, they were uh, uh, critiquing uh, corrupt politicians. They had a, these ancient African Christians that on whose shoulders we stand, they had a holistic approach to theology that was academic. It was deeply exegetical. It was uniquely African and it was holistic. It was, it wasn't just talking about getting saved for the afterlife, but it was about on earth as it is in heaven. And so again, that's the trajectory in which we come from. And so that's another way in which like, that's something that I, again, feel like I have to do. Otherwise I don't really, I don't really have any business being in a classroom teaching stuff. If I'm not in the, in the community, learning from my community and, and being shaped by God through my community. So dope. Man, the reality of 
of what you're saying and what you've done uh, in study and you start the seminary for this time for right now, what we're at is so freaking timely. You know what I mean? It's like, who knew when you were putting this together, all the disruption and all the bold moves of people, uh, not even theologically, I'm talking about their own racial issues, right? And how uh, there needs to be a word to resonate with African-Americans to know that we have um, a strength in God higher than, than what's happening right now. And the fact that we can trust God's word, we can trust Christ, we can trust God in the midst of that because of the... The the thing is, oh, if this was Christian nationalism, even though Captain may not necessarily named it that in some regards, but they just see what's happening and whatever rudimentary understanding they have of God, this is some white man stuff. This is some white man belief. This is what white folks do when it comes to wop, 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 and they want to put it back on us. I need a word from this. I need something that's going to keep me grounded in that space. And so I, you know, I applaud you for that. What are some things that, that you would say for pastors to know, to teach, and ways in which they could well, first they got to study themselves, right? But but to bridge that gap that that I think this generation is like, where am I at if this is what white Christianity is like? And everybody's saying this is a white man's religion, and yet I've been studying this, and yet I feel like it's beat me up. Like, what would you say that that they could start with to help their congregations, their churches, uh, folks they mentor? I mean, like I mentioned a minute ago, like when we're talking about, you know, um, bringing a, a, a holistic vision of church uh, into our community, uh, I, I'd be assigning Pastor Jay's book, Church Forsaken. I think that, you know, there's, you know, I think that's a great resource. And and, and yourself, Pastor Phil, you know, in the firehouse. And uh, I mean, unfortunately, like, again, in, in this safe space, you know, talking about our own people, a lot of times, uh, you know, some of our own traditional churches are not really empowering the most marginalized in the community. And so yeah. a lot of times it's, but then on the flip side, I'm going to come at some of us that are black Christians in white evangelical space that sometimes we get a little too enamored with, with white evangelicalism and we want to be in their house. And so that's why, thankfully, I think there's some, and so I also reject that. And so there's so few people like yourselves on this call right now that are like, well, I want to critique some of the things in the traditional black church, but I also don't feel the need to go like uh, try to get the crumbs from white evangelicalism, but we can, right. because we have receipts in the black church, but we can reform it as well. But it's, I think it's in small liminal spaces where you find people like the firehouse, you know, people like Lawndale and, and church forsaken. And again, I mentioned the June three project, um, you know, I think Eric Mason's uh, frequency thriving frequency network, uh, you know, uh, also, uh, Jerome gay and, and, uh, you know, Vision Church and, and a lot of his works that are out there. And, um, and, and you know, uh, I think really some of these are, uh, what am I thinking of? Oh, The Witness also, uh, you know, is another great collective, I think, of, pe- of black Christians that are trying to, again, bring in uh, some of these changes, again, of, of really pushing ourselves to theological education, of embracing our, our blackness, the beauty of our blackness and our African roots, um, but also being relevant to the community in terms of engaging issues of justice and being centering church around the most marginalized and oppressed among us that that it's really in a lot of these uh these small spaces and so i think that we need to you know again get whatever resources we need to get from the dominant right. culture but not in a way of like trying to live up to them or assimilate to their standards, but realizing right. that many of the resources they have were stolen by their grandparents. And so oh, we need God. to go back and get those resources without losing ourselves, our identity to think we need to, you know, um, like, like assimilate to that. But then we need to bring those things back again, like Nehemiah. I mean, Nehemiah, 
he built Jerusalem with resources from the king. <laughs> uh, he, and so we need to get them resources, but he didn't assimilate to the king. He's right. I'm a Hebrew. He didn't assimilate the Persian culture. So he said, I'm going to strategically use your resources, but I'm going to come back here and rebuild my community. And it's going to be on our terms. Right. We're going to be the ones leading it. And at the same time, he had to come against some of his own corrupt leaders in his community that were just looking out for themselves. And so yeah. that's another thing is that we need to, I would also say that we need to re to build these platforms. Some of the names I mentioned, I would recommend as places to get started. And, and especially when we're talking about, you know, African roots and all of that, again, yeah. at Meacham school, you can like read these books uh, of mine, but also take classes, you know, like you mentioned doctorate, also master's level. What, what's, um, the website? what's the website? Yeah. So it's a uh, Meacham, M-E-A-C-H-U-M dot O-R-G. And, and again, it's, you know, the only predominantly black and also biblical, uh, you know, rooted in the word of God and also graduate level seminary. So folks can take classes there as well uh, for yeah. certificate, but also for, you know, uh, graduate credit towards the MDiv or towards the PhD. And so you can get all the information on the website. And so new book I just I just got from a Ghanaian theologian right here. It is mm. expectation as fulfillment, a study in Paul Tillich's theory of justice. Mm. So the main theologian, uh, Pongo, good brother, man, good brother. So um, I couldn't wait to get it. Um, but no, Vince, I know you got a, you got, you got a, you got a shift in a second, man. What would be um, um, just a word? Somebody's, you know, because Jay and I were in seminary asking our professors, where are the black theologians? Where where are the historians? He, he said, "Go go go find them yourself." I'll never uh, forget that man. <laughs> I don't know. You got to find them yourself. You're like, what? We paying you, bro? <laughs> <laughs> man, you know, man, never forget that. Yeah, because it's one of those kind of things where folks, because 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 when it, when you start hearing these things, if, if you're not true, you 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 could pass some pushback. Because it's never been taught before. It's like, no, black people were not slaves. I don't know about you. Talk. The more they, de- de- the more they diminish black history and the history of coming from Africa, becoming slaves in America and other places, it becomes like, no, we were just indentured servants, and that's all for forty. You know, so it creates a level of pushback. I mean, just that, just that uh, a- a- awakening that needs to happen, man. Um, I love it at Trinity United Church of Christ, where they say we are. We are uh, unapologetically Christian, but we are unashamedly, unashamedly black. black. Yes, sir. <laughs> unashamedly black. Shout out to Otis Moss. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to respect your time, man. I, I know you had a hard stop right now. So uh, mm. me and Jay going to c- continue on for a few minutes, man. But thanks a lot, Vince. God bless you, man. All right, y'all. Yeah, we'll holler later, later, brother. We'll holler right, later. Take, take, take your bride. we say what's up. Most definitely. All right, y'all. Keep All right. up with your ring, bro. Keep up with your ring. Yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks, man. Peace. Man, um, as a pastor, man, you know, what has been your experience in teaching what you've uh, embraced, you know, African theology, African-American theology um, to congregations, African-American congregations, mixed congregations, even young seminarians and some of the cohorts that you instruct? Um, What what has been, has it been pushback? Has it been like, um, what, what, what is your experience in that? Yeah. Yeah. It's been interesting, man. Um, you know, I think our seminary experience in Northern was probably that, <laughs> that real moment where I realized unless we push and unless right. we like really like find it in ourselves to say, this is something that's important. It, it'll never like even yeah. in black spaces be something that we 
people will gravitate towards. Yeah. So I can remember as a pastor, like one of the big things I did, is, and we've talked about this before, is trying to take a more um, liberationist view of parables, mm-hmm. right? And and looking at maybe the hero in the parable that Jesus tells is not necessarily the hero that our typical theological experience might yeah. might might do, right? And so um, I remember sharing some alternative views of quite a few of the parables. I think I think in a whole year on parables almost. And, and and each time I told it from a different perspective than the typical perspective. And one of the young ladies, I talked for an organization, uh, I was actually a leader, organization called Mission Year. So Phil knows Mission Year. Yeah. And I was the city director yeah. for Mission Year. And what Mission Year was a, a, a for young adults between the ages 18, 25, come spend a year in the city, um, under faith, you know, looking at the intersections of faith and justice, right? And so they would move into marginalized communities, live there, but many of them might be coming from like more traditional European spaces. They right, were right. Kids coming from like <laughs> conservative Christian colleges before they got here, or whatever. And it was a real wake up call. But one girl um, was at my church. So not only was I the city director, I was the pastor there. And, you know, so I'm doing this whole series and she just could not take. I mean, in her mind, I was completely butchering the word of God. You are misappropriating wow. where uh, the the purpose of this, Jesus had one purpose. And, you know, and I'm like, well, how do you know that Jesus is what purpose is the purpose you think it is? You know, but uh, she literally looked me in my eyes, young girl, 22, 21 years old. I've been pastoring for, I don't know, over a dozen years at this point. Yeah, seminary yeah, now. Yeah. With Phil, you know, and she yeah. looks at me and she says, you are a heretic. You are a heretic and you are abusing the word of God and you da, 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 you know. Wow. And this is Whoa. what I told her, because I everything in me was getting angry, but I was like, you know, can't be angry. Like <laughs> this, this, this is this her, this is based off of her own theological experience, lived yeah. experience, church experience. So her I had fears, her look, yeah, all her fears, all of that. So all I said to her was, let's just sit here. We were sitting in the sanctuary at the church. And the communion table was sitting in front of the pulpit. And I said, mm. I need you to sit on that side. I'm going to sit on this side. Okay. She said, okay. I said, I need you to describe the communion table. So she said, oh, it's wood. It's rectangular. You know, it's about, you know, two, three feet high. So I said, great. Okay. I said, I'm going to describe it. Right. I said, okay, it's wood. It's rectangular. It's about two, three feet high. I said the same stuff. Right. I said, now I need you to look closely and look at, your side of this thing. What do you see that's specific to your side? She's like, oh, well, there's a scratch on this side, probably from it being moved around. Like, I see a smudge over here. As a matter of fact, one of the designs that's supposed to be continuous on the whole table, like, it looked like it's missing over here, like maybe it got chipped off or something like that. I said, cool. I said, on my side, you know, there's a smudge over here, right? Like, and the 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 design is continuous, and that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm just wondering. I, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I said, I said, oh, okay, this is great. I said, now if someone was listening to our conversation and heard you describe it, they may not think that we're talking about the same table, mm. because what you're looking at is you're looking at this table from the perspective in which you sit, from the angle, from the course. You can't see my side. From mm. your side. So all mm. I can do is trust as somebody who can't see your side that your view of this table is just as valid wow. as my view of the table from this perspective. Neither wow. one is wrong, neither one is right. 
They're both different perspectives of the same text. I said, this is what I'm doing with the parable. I'm telling you it from a different perspective, from a way Mm -hmm. that different vantage point. It doesn't make it a different parable. It doesn't mean that it's a different object, right? It just means that I've... I don't think it was the first time I kind of got through to her. Like, oh, okay. I never really thought of it that way. I said, it doesn't mean it's not a community table and that it can't serve the same purpose and that it doesn't have the same meaning. It just means that what I'm seeing from my perspective is a little different. And so this is what I value about being a pastor, right? Like this is what I tell my congregations is that if we don't value the different perspectives from around the world of the way people see the text, we miss out on a piece of God because every person, every culture, every place yeah. is reflects yeah. the image of God, right? Like people from all over the world. And we yeah. miss out on a piece of the image of God when we neglect it or we push away and say, my way is right or my view of something is right. No, we got to be open, open. And that's what learning, like what Vince does, like learning from the African diaspora, from, from folks whose narrative have been marginalized. Right. So I bring it right. into my church, and that's the tool I use to try to get people to understand how valuable it is that we miss out on a piece of the image of God, right? An understanding of God that we can never get without our brothers and sisters who, who look at it that, from a different I, perspective. I, that was freaking brilliant. That was that um, brilliant, man, in the midst of your anger, in the midst of being frustrated, in the midst of this white girl, she just been here five minutes. You don't know the depth of what I've come from. Like, what? So to have that resilience, that strength to handle that and to help her, otherwise I'd be like, you need to go. I mean, yeah. in some regards, yeah. you know, yeah. but yeah. that that doesn't oftentimes get us anywhere either, you know. Time to drop bars. There was a guy who was a lumberjack. And um, he was chopping trees down, man, and he was uh, doing well. He'd been doing this for a long time. And as he was, um, you know, having a hard time chopping trees down uh, later on this particular season, he saw a sign that said, man, chop twice as many trees down. New saw, chop twice as many trees down. He's like, oh, man, I got to get this saw and make more money. So he goes to the spot. He gets the saw. And, um, man, he's trying to use this new saw in a way to chop these trees down like he had been doing before. And he didn't chop down that tree. He was banging the saw, banging the saw, banging the saw like he had been doing before. Then he got heated after about a week. He goes back to the place, throw the thing down the counter. It's like, yo, man, this thing is not working. Why can't I chop down any trees? I'm losing money. The owner of the company got the, got the saw and flipped a few switches and hit the thing. And the guy said, what's that noise? The guy had been taking a power saw and trying to chop trees down like a normal axe. He never turned the whole thing on. That's the issue with us in the gospel. Oftentimes, we just got one way we chopping, one way we looking. God calls us to embrace the whole totality of a God that's complicated, but yet easy. A God that is perplexed, but yet simple. And as we embrace the totality of God, we will be able to, I believe, connect with one another. Black, white, green, brown, yellow, Latino in a way um, that brings about the kingdom of God. And we will be able to see things and trees chopped down, buildings chopped down, nations drop because of the power of God. Yo, keep walking this faith, man, and, and be open to God. Don't get boxed in. This is Pastor Phil with Pastor Jay. <laughs> we'll thank y'all for listening to Church on the Block. We'll see y'all next week.
Thank you for listening to Church on the Block, real talk about hip-hop, the church, and the streets. Back here next week, same time, same channel, Holy Culture Radio, Sirius XM, channel 154. Come with us. Holy Culture Radio is operated by the CoreLink Solution, a 501c ministry dedicated to empowering people to reach their potential. If you feel led to contribute to this mission, visit www.holyculture.net slash donations.